Good morning, everyone. You know, it's really an exciting season in the life of our church right now when you think about the number of people that God is just doing great things in. Last week, we had 15 baptisms as people expressed their faith publicly to you uh, and to their friends and family that came to visit. This week, we have 13 children being dedicated to the Lord. As parents are saying, we want to commit to raising our children uh, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And next week, we have more baptisms coming up as well. And so God really is doing a great work of life change uh, in the midst of this people right here. But that's what God does. And this morning, I want to talk about part of that reality of life change, part of it that might even be phrased in a way that might be uncomfortable to us. Because this reality has life and death implications attached to it. It's a reality that will change the quality of your life altogether. The reality is a reality that has severe negative connotation to it, And yet, when we look at it biblically, we see tremendous positive benefit. The reality that I'm talking about is slavery. And this morning, we are going to talk a little bit about a biblical concept of slavery. Because the stark truth is that each and every one of us here today is a slave. We're not talking about racially driven slavery, the type of slavery that has plagued society for the last hundreds of years. We're not talking about the type of slavery that you might feel when your boss might be too hard on you at work. And we're not talking about the sense of slavery that every homeowner has experienced when they have that acute sensation when they sign that line on their first mortgage ever. And they realize that they'll now be a slave to the bank and a slave to their home We are talking about a biblical concept of slavery, a new kind of slave. And it offends our sensibilities to think that we might all be slaves. I mean, after all, freedom is expressed as the pinnacle of human experience. But the Bible talks about a new kind of slave. And this kind of slavery actually sounds quite attractive. And so I want to ask you to grab a Bible with me and open to the book of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is found on page 943. And if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that we're in the middle of a series right now in the book of Romans chapters 5 through 8. And we're calling the series Remade as Romans 5 through 8 talks about the process that God uses to go about remaking people who put their faith in Christ into new people. And part of that dynamic is a dynamic of slavery. So please follow with me as I read Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 15. Romans 6, 15 to 23. This is what it says. The Apostle Paul writes, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness." 
I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once, once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul begins this section of Scripture asking a question that he's already asked before. You see it in verse 1 of chapter 6. It's a question that is repeated in different ways throughout this section of the Bible. And it goes something like this. Since God is so gracious to us in forgiving our sins and changing our life, and he gives this forgiveness free of charge, it's free grace, to us in that sense, can we just continue to go on sinning and just continue to receive more and more grace? Is that how we should live our lives? And of course the answer is by no means. And in Romans 5 through 8, he's been talking really about two realms. (laughs) The realm of our father Adam and the realm of the son Jesus. And two masters the master of sin and the master of Christ, and now two types of slaves, those who continue to be enslaved to sin versus those who are enslaved to God. Everyone serves someone. I wonder who your master is. We might even say the main idea of this passage is everyone serves someone Make sure that you are serving the best master. And he gives us three reasons why we should serve the best master, the Lord himself. Look at it with me. The first reason is found right away in verse 16. There's a reality check. And the reality check for us is that you are a slave to what you obey. Verse 16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So when it comes to the state of our actions in this life or our status before God, our actions indicate something about us. It indicates our motives, our desires, and even the type of relationship that we have with God. And so when Paul says that all people are obedient slaves and how we position our actions and even our bodies indicate who our master really is. He's talking about all humanity. All humanity is in some kind of slavery. When you present yourselves to something as obedient, you become a slave to the thing that you obey. And remember, we're talking about kind of core spiritual truths here. And so he really only gives two options. (laughs) He doesn't give a big variety of options. Two options. Either you're a slave to sin or you're a slave 
to God, which is expressed in righteousness and obedience. I wonder if you ever thought about your spiritual life in that way. I'm guessing that most of us probably haven't. But when you stop to ponder kind of the practical nature of this, you can begin to see how true it is. When we give ourselves over to sinful appetites, it seems that those appetites begin to change the way that we think, to change the way that we relate to other people, to change the way we prioritize our time and our actions. You can think of almost any strong, sinful inclination and start to play it through a process, can't you? Whether it's sexual lust or substance abuse or gluttony or even things like gossip or slander, these things begin to control our actions. And that is the type of slavery that Paul says ultimately leads to death. But conversely, when we pursue obedience to God, there's a new kind of slavery. Except this kind of slavery carries none of the negative connotation and none of the negative consequence attached to slavery. When you start obeying him, you actually want to keep obeying him. (laughs) A life lived for this master is one that actually becomes fulfilling over time and joy-inducing. It has regular acts of love and of goodness and of kindness and has personal qualities of self-control and peace and patience and gentleness. And we are compelled by these things to keep acting in these types of ways. And as a result, Paul says, this type of obedience leads to life. Because everyone serves somebody. Make sure you're serving the best master. The second reason Paul gives is found in verses 17 through 19. Look at your text with me. He's explaining the consequences of obedience, the benefits and consequences. And you might be tempted to think at this point, as I read it in just a moment, that that our actions ultimately lead to our final spiritual state. That if we obey and we're good people and we follow God, then we'll ultimately attain to heaven. And if we disobey, then we'll ultimately be brought to hell. But that's not exactly what he's saying here. And, And in fact, what he is saying is that in, verses, in chapter 5 and in chapter 6, God has already done something incredible, and he's described that for us. And as a result of what God has already done, now you respond to his work in a certain type of way, a certain type of slavery, a certain type of obedience. And so look at verses 17 and 18 with me. This describes what God has already done, and it's a great summary of Romans 5 and 6. He says, but thanks be to God. That you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That is the gospel. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So at this point, we've used some very simple diagrams to try to explain this reality. We saw in Romans chapter 5 the description of the realm of our father, Adam, the father of all humanity. Because we are united to our father, Adam, we share in the benefits and the consequences of our father, Adam. And because Adam sinned, we all sinned. This is the doctrine of original sin. And that sin then carries with us 
the consequence of sin, which is death. The realm of Adam is a realm of sin, which leads to judgment, which results in death. But we also saw in Romans chapter 5 that God loves his people so much that he sent a way to escape the realm of Adam and to enter a realm of Christ, his son. So through faith in Jesus, God gives the free gift of transferring from one realm to another and in that transference to have the benefits of Christ. And this happens solely by God's grace. And so in this realm of Christ, it is dictated by God's grace. And as a result of God's grace, we have righteousness, a righteous standing before God. And the result of this grace is new life found in him now and in eternity. And then we move on to Romans chapter 6, the first part that we looked at a couple weeks ago. And we see how do we actually get from one realm to the, to the next? How do we move? <laughs> and we saw that when you put your faith in Jesus, you become united to him. And a wonderful mystery, a spiritual union with the Son of God. And as a result, you are found in him and he is found in you. And you have all the benefits of God's blessing conferred to you through his Son. And so your sinful nature, as terrible as it was, died with Jesus as you were united to him in his death. And the transference to this new realm that God gives you access to is found in new life. As you're united to Jesus in his resurrection, so you to rise to new spiritual life. I mean, what an incredible reality that God would look at the realm of the world, spiritually speaking, and say, I love my people too much to leave them there. I love them too much to be left to their own desires or to their own devices. I, leave, I love them too much to be left to their own sin. There's a rescue plan. And it comes in the form of his son. And verse 18 captures that reality. Having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. If we had more time to ponder that thought. <laughs> Having been set free from sin. To be set free from those things that I don't want to do, but I find myself doing. To have the things that enrapture my mind and move me down the road toward being overcome by them. The self-serving things the wicked things that I desire, the need for undue recognition, the desire to be known by others, the regular temptation to pursue my comfort above all else, the nasty things that I want to say to people when I don't get my way, the desire to rule my own destiny, even at the great cost of others, the things, the sinful things that leave me at the end of the day feeling guilty, feeling depressed, leaving me to feel isolated, and alone. And God sets us free from those things by grace as we're united to his son Jesus in faith. And then we become slaves to righteousness. What does it mean to be a slave to righteousness? What is this new kind of slave that Paul is talking about? Well, surely this is what God had been promising to his people for hundreds of years. 
long before the coming of Jesus, back in the time of the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26, God makes this promise to his people. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And in the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31, prophesying about the way that God will save his people, he says this in Jeremiah 31, 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. It will no longer be an external thing. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And certainly the Holy Spirit that God promises in the Old Testament and that Jesus points to in the New Testament in John 16 helps us to fulfill this very thing and is the fulfillment of this thing. As the Spirit is called the Helper who leads you or guides you into all truth. How do you become a slave to righteousness? How do you live in the new realm of Christ? That the Spirit of the living God helps you. And guides you into all truth. And that the fruit of that spirit, we've already mentioned, are marker points of being this new kind of slave. There's an important reality with these types of slavery. I wonder if you caught it. Both of these types of slavery have a sense of progression to them. Did you notice that in verse 19? Verse 19, he gets to the command... Verses 17 and 18, he describes what God has done, and in response to what God has done, now we're supposed to do something. Since God has done what he's done, you do what he wants you to do. That's kind of the gist of it. And in verse 19, he says, halfway through, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to your sanctification. Impurity and lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. Sin leads to sin. (laughs) And righteousness leads to your sanctification. Sanctification is a way of saying the process by which God transforms you and makes you holy. Sin leads to sin. Righteousness leads to righteousness. That's the progression. How does that play itself out? Well, people wonder why our society continues to morally degrade. The things that were considered abhorrent 20 years ago, morally speaking, culturally speaking, are now celebrated in a society like ours today. And it sort of vexes us sociologically what's what's happening here. But spiritually speaking, it's really not that hard to understand. Sin progresses to more sin, right? And so groups of people massively change if those are the things that they're committed to. But this progression happens with individuals as well. We know this all too well, a little dabbling in something that is enjoyable but sinful. Ignoring your conscience or conviction that you shouldn't go any further with this thing, but you do it anyway. The sin now begins to take hold, and you still are really enjoying it. And before long, 
this sin begins to change the way that you think and the priorities in which you act and you become a full-blown slave to it. You, it compels you to act, even now when you don't want to act, but the temptation is so strong. It leads you into places that you never thought that you would go. It gives you a life that you never really wanted to live. And that is the nature of slavery to sin. On the flip side of that, we can see how being a slave to righteousness leads to sanctification, leads to that transforming work of God to make you more holy. And this also happens with big groups of people and it happens with individuals. The description is really quite similar. Think about it with me. Let me paint a picture for what that looks like for a large group of people. You have people that agree together that they want to learn more about God by sitting under teaching from the Bible. And in the ways that they can, they try to obey him to the very best of their ability. And sometimes they fail, but they keep trying to learn more and to obey more. And as a result, over time, they begin to find joy in the deeper things of the Lord, and they shed some of the superficial expectations that they originally had. And as time grows on, they grow in expressing love toward other people, even people that are very different than themselves, which we know is not a normal thing to do in our culture. And they step out and they begin to be generous. And they realize that they're still provided for, and so... They grow in generosity even more. They do things that are crazy to the society around them, like giving their money away. They look for opportunities to share the gospel as they continue to grow because God is changing them. They start to see, I want other people to experience this wonderful work of God that we've experienced as a family, as a group of people. And so they pray <laughs> and they look for opportunity to share about the kindness of God through the person of Jesus, and a person comes to faith. And the whole group of people celebrates as that one person comes to faith and their life is eternally changed. And as soon as they celebrate, they say to themselves, we want more people to come to faith because of the great joy and promises and kindness of God. And so they pray. And they wait, and they pray, and they look for opportunity. The whole group of them look for opportunity to share the good news that God loves them. And more people start to come to faith. And God, before long, is now making this group of people into a group of people who decides that they're going to wholly and completely commit themselves to God, to his word, to his ways and what he calls them to do. And before long, they start to find great fulfillment in being together with mutual focus on the Lord himself. And so they can't wait to do things that the culture thinks might be crazy to do, to give up one morning on their weekend, to get together with other people who pursue the Lord together. And so they go to Sunday worship or they go to small group. They exercise hospitality and they start to seek out people to pray with. Who does that? God has changed their desires. And what starts is a group of people that looks an awful lot like the world around them. Over time becomes a group of people that loves the world around them or the people of the world around them. 
but they start to look more and more and more like their master who is not from this world. He's from another realm. They have become slaves to righteousness. My friends, this is what God is doing among this group of people right here. (laughs) Among this church family in Campfield, Ohio. And this is what he does in church families all around the world as he grows them together and as they become slaves to righteousness. And the same holds true for individuals. You can apply this to a group at large and you can apply it to individuals because the pursuit of righteousness leads to growing sanctification. When you pursue righteousness in your, in your individual life, it leads to you growing and growing and growing in holiness to God. And so this is, we know this to be true. We've seen examples of it. This is how a person moves from struggling to read the Bible because they don't feel like they understand it or it's not accessible to them to continuing to learn and grow from it out of a sense of obedience to growing to a place where they have an insatiable desire to hear from God every day through it. This is how a person goes from staying at home and watching another three hours of TV on any given night of the week and instead saying, I'm going to go down to the local rescue mission and help in the ways that I can with people who need it. This is why someone would give up every Wednesday night or another night of the week or every Sunday morning and other times to be with God's people, even if it means that they can't do some of the other things that they would like to do. But they have a greater sense of purpose and resolve and joy. And this is how a person goes from dropping $5 in an offering plate out of a sense of sort of obligation or or maybe payment for spiritual services rendered. And then when they're challenged by the Bible and the biblical description of sacrificial giving and how in the Old Testament we see a mandated 10% tithe of our income, giving back to God out of recognition of what he's first given us and how that's really the starting point to be sacrificial in our giving to God. And so we do that out of painful obligation. But that's better than giving five bucks for spiritual services rendered. So out of painful obligation, we say, God, I want to obey you, and so this is what I'm going to do. And as time goes on, what starts out as painful obligation actually becomes joyful obedience. And what becomes joyful obedience actually starts to change a person's heart from being simply obedient to now looking to be generous. And when somebody becomes generous... They begin to look at everything that they have differently, including their money, and they say, God, what are the ways? I'm looking for the ways in which I can partner with you in your divine action plan, even as it relates to my wallet. These types of transformations are not transformations that are common in our society. But everyone serves someone. Make sure you're serving the best master. There's a third reason to serve the Lord as your master. And that is found in verses 20 to 23. And that is the fruit of these two types of slavery. We all know that fruit is something that is yielded at its appropriate time. And that whatever decisions you make in life, whatever course that you decide to take, that there will be fruit. 
in the short term and in the long term. And so Paul challenges the people to say there, in these two types of slavery, there's different types of fruit. Look with me at verses 20 and 21. He says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness, meaning you weren't that interested in it. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. The fruit of being a slave to sin is short-lived. Pursuing a life where sin is your master does not ultimately make you happy. Society is rife with examples of people who have pursued having more and doing more and getting more and experiencing more and at the end of the day are still left incredibly wanting. It provides no purpose and it does not lead to joy. And most importantly, it doesn't lead to eternal life. It only leads to death. But contrast that with the fruit that comes from being a slave to God. Verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end. Eternal life. When you serve the best master, when you're a slave to God, your good works and the pursuit of obedience to God yields fruit in your life. And that fruit becomes the means by which God continues to make you more holy. He continues to transform you. The process of sanctification is this ongoing fruit-bearing endeavor. From the moment you put your faith in Christ, through your whole season of life as God grows you, there's this increase, a multiplication of fruit-bearing. Some time ago, I talked to a friend of mine that I had lost contact with a number of years ago. And as we spoke on the phone together, reconnecting after a number of years, I just kept thinking to myself, oh, man, he sounds a lot different <laughs> than he used to sound. I mean, his level of depth of conversation has increased, and the judgmental, sarcastic edge that he had has significantly lessened. And he was really interested in what was going on in my life. And he was quick to give credit to the kindness of God for the good things in his life. He sounded like a lot different person than I used to know. And as I got off the phone, I, I thought about that for a while. And I thought to myself, well, of course he sounds different than he used to be. He's not just matured as a person, but he's matured as a follower of Jesus. He has pursued being a slave to righteousness and the sanctifying work of God in his life has changed him. He should be different than he was five years ago or ten years ago. I hope that the people who knew me five or ten years ago, if I were to talk to them today, would say, wow, Nick is really different than he used to be. And I hope five years from now, you look at me and you're encouraged as I'm different than I am today. And I'm, I look at you and I'm encouraged as you are different than you are today. That is the growth and sanctifying work of God in the life of a Christian. That is the result of being a slave to God and to righteousness. And the end of that result is eternal life. And so Paul concludes with this verse that we teach our kids in Awana. My five-year-old and four-year-old are learning it. 
Our Sunday school children are learning it. Our students are learning it. And you as an adult, I hope you have this memorized. And if you don't, I encourage you. This week is a great week to memorize it. The summary verse for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God, verse 23, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everyone serves someone. Make sure you are serving the best master. I don't know if you like art periodically. I talk about art up here. I enjoy Renaissance art to some degree. I make no claims to be educated in it, but I enjoy it. And if you enjoy art, you probably saw this week that there was a world record auction in the art world. That the last painting that is privately owned, believed to be by Leonardo da Vinci, went to auction. And the painting is called Salvador Mundi, which means savior of the world. It's a painting of Jesus. This painting was purchased just four years ago by a Russian oligarch for the modest sum of $127.5 million. And as it went to auction this week, there were a lot of questions about what was going to happen. It had a guaranteed price of $100 million. And there are some questions about its authenticity. Uh, there's, uh, it's a trophy because it's the last privately held da Vinci to be known in the world today. And the estimates for what it would go for came in in a, a wide variety of ranges. Most people thought somewhere in the range of 150 to 200 million dollars. And as the auction began, immediately the first bids came out, and 100 million was surpassed, and it climbed very quickly to 200 million, and it climbed quickly beyond 200 million. And multiple people were bidding on the last Da Vinci until finally the hammer fell at the Christie's auction house with a final bid of $400 million with a buyer's premium of $50 million on top of that for a final sale price of $450 million. Somebody bought Jesus for $450 million. But here's the thing. The joke's on them, because you can have him for free. Because to be part of his realm is the free gift of God, through grace. To be united to Christ in faith is the greatest gift of God that you can have, and it's free through faith, in him for the forgiveness of your sins. To be a slave, even with all of its negative connotations, to be this kind of slave is the best possible reality for you because as Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we see in John chapter one that to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to be moved from the realm of Adam to the realm of Christ. And it's free. And this type of slavery is life-giving. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life 
and have it abundantly. Everybody serves somebody. I hope you're serving the best master. And if to this point you have not, then today could be your day. Today could be the day where you make the shift from the realm of Adam to the realm of Jesus, the realm of sin and death to the realm of righteousness and grace and life, to being a slave to those sinful habits and patterns of your life, to becoming born again into new life and a slave to righteousness. And if you want to do that today, I would encourage you, don't wait a minute longer. That God so loves you and wants you as part of his family to be one of his children and to live life to the full, to have it abundantly. And if you'd like to do that, please come and talk to us and we'd love to pray with you today. Let's pray and rejoice as we sing one more song together. Father in heaven, you are a great king and a mighty God and you are a worthy master, the best master. And we praise your holy name for the gift of your grace in your son Jesus, that we do not have to buy it for astronomical sums of money, but Lord, that you give it to us freely, solely based on your love and your kindness. And so today, Father, we again say we trust you. We trust you to forgive us of our sins. We trust the work of Christ to help us to live anew. And we desire to have our life reflect our new master. And as we look at our time and our efforts and our affections and our actions and our money, Lord, that you would continue to transform us in this fruitful, sanctifying work to reflect who our master truly is. For the sake of your glory, we pray. Amen.